You're listening to Mature Allure. Here, we chat about self-care, relationships, careers, and all the things living a mature life includes. I'm your host, Sherry O. Welcome. Get out the way. Who got a watch? Who got the time? Raising the clock. Even in my feelings. Terrific. How have you been? Got big Great. Thank you. So happy you could do this for us. Sure. Uh, my name is Anthony Giglio, and I'm the wine director for the American Express Centurion Global Lounge Network and a long-time contributing editor to Food & Wine Magazine and overall fun wine guy. Yeah, I like to hear that. <laughs> um, okay, so as I mentioned earlier, I'm not much, I don't know much about wines. I just know I drink wine. So if you could kind of give an overview of the red and the white family, just a little bit about what's what. I know that's weird. Is not that weird. Okay. Not weird. Not weird at all. It's just a lot <laughs> that I'm going to try and bring it down. All right. So let's start here. Let's start here. All wine is born white until skin touches juice. Now, if you go to your kitchen fridge right now, Sherry, and open and grab the reddest grapes, any red grapes, black grapes, any you know dark grapes, squeeze them over a paper towel. What color is the juice? Clear. Completely clear. Clear. Until you let the skins fall into the juice, and then they will bleed red into the juice. So all so that's how you make rosé. That's how you make champagne. Champagne is red wine in disguise. Now, never that, Prosecco is another thing. That is white grapes, but that's made in a different style. But, for example, real champagne is three grapes, two are red. Do you know them at all? Can you take even a guess? It's two words, light red, well, no, two Pinot Noir. Oh, and that, I can drink Pinot Noir. Okay, right? Yes. And then Pinot Meunier, which you put in up, which is a cousin of Pinot Noir. Let's call them cousins. So another light red. And the third grape is Chardonnay. Chardonnay is usually given, um, I'd say if if you rank the three in the blend, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely two thirds of the reds, a third of the white. And Chardonnay gives it creaminess and roundness. And then if you break champagne into the categories of Blanc de Blanc, right? That means white of white. So it's 100% Chardonnay. White of black, Blanc de Noir, is a white wine made of black grapes. In Europe, they don't say red and green. They say white and black. So black grapes equal red grapes. So Blanc de Noir means white of black, meaning a white wine made entirely of red grapes. Does that make sense? It Very does, tricky. It's a, it's a little confusing and tricky. And I was going to say, when you asked me the question, I guess why I was confused was you asked me the red, you said about the red, light red. That's what it was. Right, so I, was thinking, I was just yeah. thinking completely reds. I wasn't thinking because you brought in a Chardonnay, I think, there at the with the third grade. So yep. it's it's a little confusing. And which, you know, I can pretty much drink any wine except Pinot Grigio. I don't know what it is about that. Just... I, I, I'm happy that you're not drinking. I mean, I, 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 it will not ruin your life to not drink Pinot Grigio. Oh. It's okay. one of the lightest, easiest, friendliest whites on the planet. But there are a lot more exciting wines out there. But it's no problem with you not liking it. What I really need you to have a problem with is white Zinfandel. All right. That's. 
that is not a wine. That is <laughs> that I remember white Zinfandel from my college days. Like that was that's how I remember. I, I don't drink that at all. I try, I am I am I am uh, I always try to be inclusive of everything and everyone's taste, but uh and I'm I'm I certainly strive not to ever be a wine snob, but I draw the line at white Zinfandel. It's just it is disgustingly sweet and not it's just unnecessary. There are beautiful moscatos in the world made properly with sweetness that I'd be happy to recommend to you, but White Sinfandel is a science project gone awry and I have no time for it. Anyway, but I want to go back to... But though, now that you said that, let's talk about Valentine's Day because real quick with the wine, because I know people will be picking up White Sinfandel or they'll pick up Moscato. Those will probably be the two on most people's list. Neither one of those... Neither one, I'm saying, you know, people that really aren't wine people, that would not be on my list, either one of those. Right. But like, if you had to, if somebody's not familiar with wine, let's start there. Not at all familiar with wine. What would you suggest for like Valentine's Day or a special occasion? If I would say start with are we talking right white or red or sparkling, right? Or rose. I mean, there's there's all that's the four categories of of questioning. And then to say, what is your dryness sweetness quotient, right? right? So and then and we have to say off the bat, which is not going to be good news to the, the white Zinfandel lovers or the Moscato lovers, is that um those sweet wines don't really compete in the same arena, meaning they're definitely easy pleasers. They're like the Kool-Aid end of soft drinks. I mean, they, they're they just, they're gateways to wine. You know, I think we all, I mean, your gateway was White Zen, mine was Riuniti when I was in college. So like that, we start there and then we, we, we gradually get to drier and drier and, you know, and understanding that sweetness has nothing to do with fruitiness. So I'll, I'll I'll pour someone a glass of a, a classic delicious red wine, like a Pinot Noir or any anything, and they'll say, no, that's too sweet for me. And I'll say, I hope you don't mind me correcting you, but you definitely mean too fruity. And that makes sense. Fruity is fine. If it's too fruity for you, you want drier, maybe you want more tannin, more power, like Pinot Noir would be the fruitier end of the red spectrum. Cabernet, the more powerful end of the spectrum, right? So maybe you're a cab lover and I pour you a peanut. You're like, you mean to say it's too fruity, but a lot of people say it's too sweet. And I say, let me help you in case you ever meet the winemaker. You would never want to say that because they might have a cow and say like, there is no sugar in this wine. So we tend to say sweetness when we mean fruitiness. But back to your original question, where do we go for uh, for Valentine's Day? It depends. Well, how about this? I'm going to flip it and say it depends on who you're buying it for. So assuming they don't like sweet wine, assuming they like normal dry wine, okay? Can we do that or not? Or do you really want to know this? I, I can't even recommend the sweet stuff. I think you can do that. I think it's perfect. You're going down the right path. So so who are you buying for? Do they love champagne or any old sparkling or rosé? And is it a sparkling rosé or a still rosé? Is it light red? Is it medium red? Is it full-bodied red? And once you have that information go to your wine shop or go online to your wine shop and ask for help and just say, I'm looking for something like this. What do you have for Valentine's Day? By the way, Valentine's Day, retailers go crazy and come up with really fun, you know, specials that all have to do with love. So like labels that have hearts or, uh, you know, flowers or things that, you know, seem appropriate to the, to the, 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 you know, the theme of Valentine's Day. Um, others will look for, uh, names that have 
love in them. Uh, I, I always, always, always went to uh, the region in France of Beaujolais. So do you know Beaujolais? That's the super lightest reds, some of the super lightest reds on the planet. They're beautiful, juicy, super light, delicious, chillable, gulpable reds. They're some of my favorite summertime wines. Um, but there is a power structure within them too that can get complicated. But all to say, if you went to a wine shop and said, do you have any good Beaujolais? Because there's Beaujolais Nouveau, which is sort of like the base, or Beaujolais Nouveau, which is the third, you know, the, the third Thursday of November every year. Beaujolais Nouveau comes out and it's like a party wine, but those are expired by New Year's. Know that. Don't be saving it for next year for a special occasion. But good Beaujolais, guess what? One of those 10 villages to know, 10, I'm holding up five. One village is Saint Amour. Saint Amour, the saint of love. Perfect. I mean, I, I literally, I'm, I was going to go around, I'll, I'll frame it. I bought one for my wife. I have it ready for Valentine's Day. It's a Saint Amour. So that would be a crew village wine of Beaujolais. It's a beautiful wine. I think it's all of like $24, $26. But Beaujolais are great values. But uh, I would I would just go to a retailer and say, show me some fun things for Valentine's Day. And then say what you what category you might be looking in. Are you looking in real champagne, a good sparkling wine? Is it is it white or is it rosé? Or are we looking at a white wine, a rosé wine, or a red wine? And within that, within those categories, is it light or full, etc. You know what? I've never had a Beaujolais. So that you now that you're saying that, I'm going to try that. For you're on notice. You have to have a. You're going to have it before, and- before Valentine's Day. Well, no problem. I'm having wine tonight, so it's <laughs> wine for any occasion. And I was going to ask you, am I wrong? Because when you were saying it's too sweet, you know, that type of thing, am I wrong if I say it's too weak? Because, like, if I want a red wine, usually I drink mostly red. I do Cabernet, the Cabernet Sauvignon. Is that what it is? Yep. Yeah. I do that one. Like, that's what I'm having tonight. Versus if I want something light, I'll do Pinot Noir. Like, Perfect. I don't. I noticed I've said that Pinot Noir is light. I wasn't sure if that was wrong to say that it was lighter. It's lighter. And um, so then how does Merlot fit into that too? Because I have a nephew who's really moving into that sommelier field. So Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I think he, whatever level, I think it's the first. I don't know, but he just passed something. He's down in Miami. Congratulations. Yeah, so he's really, really excited about it. And I remember him telling me and somebody made a comment like, oh, Merlots are the strongest red wines. Or something. And I was like thinking to myself, I don't really taste that. But he mm. mentioned to me, no, cabs are, you know, I don't know if he was right about that either. But I, was, I, you know, I don't know how that really works when it comes to the light versus the okay. bold. Is it going to be dry? There is. There is it's all dry. Uh, okay. But there is actually a, a spectrum or even a, a table if, if, if uh I'm a big I'm a big proponent of Steve DeLong. He's a map maker in London who makes beautiful wine maps, like gorgeous wine maps. Um, D-E-L-O-N-G, DeLong's wine maps. If you Google it, he has one thing called um, I think he changed the name because he got some grief from scientists, but it used to be called the periodic table of grapes. And now I think it's just called, I don't know, I don't know what he, what he changed it to. I have gifted that to so many people in the past. I, have, I see people, it's hanging up in people's dining rooms. Like it's this really beautiful chart of every grape that, you know, it known to, you know, to, you know, it, I think there's over 400, but they're all, you know, just like the periodic table from almost completely clear to completely black in color. 
uh, you know, the deepest, darkest red, almost black, basically black, uh, and uh, and all the names. And it comes with a booklet too. But it is a great gift to give everybody. Give it to your nephew. Um, him, he'll, he might be redundant for him, but I give it to a lot of people. All to say, Merlot's position next to Cabernet is their partners in Bordeaux, where both hail from. You know, where they both hail from in France. Merlot's role is to soften Cabernet, but it's powerful. It is also powerful, but Cabernet is more powerful. And using old terminology, they used to say like Cabernet's the king and Merlot's the queen. And it's probably not correct anymore to say that, but meaning one is a little uh, softer, but probably a lot smarter. And <laughs> Cabernet is the big, powerful brood of a king. Um, but all to say uh, in, in Bordeaux, that's that's uh that's the structure there's five grapes that make up red bordeaux cabernet sauvignon and merlot are the two primary um and then you know and you could take a, a rabbit hole dive into the left bank and right bank and which uses which more of which you which side uses more of cabernet and more of merlot um and then you'll find malbec which everyone thinks is from argentina but it is from bordeaux and it's also from cahors in france but it went to it went to Argentina. I call it the Evita Perona grapes because it went to Argentina hundred years ago and had a great rebirth and is actually beloved and enjoyed more from Argentina than anywhere else in the world. So Malbec is French, but Argentine Malbec is the standard for most people. Um, and then you have oh Cabernet Franc, which most people are learning about in the last two years. I think it's trending. Cabernet Franc is actually getting really popular. Uh, it's sort of like a a less complex Cabernet Sauvignon, but it's still a very powerful grape in its own right. Malbec, and then Petit Bordeaux, which nobody knows, and it's used in very small portions, but but those are the five grapes. So all to say, Cabernet Merlot, hand in hand. Now, here's my, here's I'm going along with what you just said about your friend, or whoever said that to you about Merlot being big. Nephew. Your nephew. In, in my experience, a lot of people who are trying to cross from white wine to red, and you go to a bar, unless it's a fabulous, you know, a great wine bar, let's say, or, you know, a really good restaurant wine bar. Um, the reds tend to be the big stuff and the cheap stuff. So you're going to find a cheap Cabernet, a cheap Merlot, maybe a cheap Malbec. But the point is, you're not going to find a Beaujolais. You're not going to find a really great, delicious Gamay. Beaujolais, by the way, the grape is Gamay, super light, lighter than Pinot Noir, or a great Pinot Noir. But, you know, two things are going to, there's two things, I'm going to go even further and say, not only are you getting big, Big, you know, the bigger end of the spectrum. So imagine you're a white wine lover. You like your wine cold. You like crisp, delicious acidity. You go to a bar and they're serving it to you warm, which is patently incorrect. It is absolutely wrong to serve red wine at room temperature, but it's done everywhere. I'm telling everyone who's listening to this, you are to chill your red wine forever. Kitchen fridge is too cold, but if you have one of those wine fridges, and by the way, I used to feel... Guilty saying wine fridge like it was some expensive extravagance, but you could literally buy one at Home Depot for 75 bucks. I mean, it's crazy how cheap they are now. They have countertop versions, but a, a, a wine fridge would keep your wine in the 50s where all red wine belongs between 55, maximum 65. I have a two temperature under counter city apartment fridge, and it's uh, 42 for the whites, which is warmer than your kitchen fridge. 52 for the reds, which is a little chilly, but it'll warm up. It's always going to warm up in the glass. I'm glad up. you brought that up because that's one of my questions about chilling the wine. Because for me, 
And you said it's wrong. I don't like, okay. I don't chill my red wine. I open it because I don't like it refrigerator cold. But now that you said wine fridge keep it keeps it at a certain temperature, I will probably get a wine fridge because putting it in the refrigerator, I get it and open it. I don't know. It's not that I don't like it. Of course I drink it. But right. I mean it. Sherry, I, I have I have a mind-blowing experiment that if I could monetize this the last 20 years, I'd be a bazillionaire because everyone does it and they report back and say, holy cow, that's amazing. And here it is. You're going to grab, um, you're going to make an ice bucket. Now, it doesn't be a fancy Sterling Civil tro you know, trophy ice bucket. It could be a pasta pot. The basin in your kitchen sink will do. It doesn't matter. But you're going to fill it with ice as much as you can and then halfway up with water because an ice bucket without water is absolutely useless unless you're displaying oysters. Do you understand? There is nothing that will happen in that bucket for hours without water to form a thermonuclear bath. It's very simple. It sounds complicated. All the way to the top of the ice, halfway with water. So when you put the bottle in, it actually drops in and is up to its shoulders in ice. It will chill in five quick minutes. You'll have a beautiful wine. But here's the experiment. Go into your kitchen now. This is a joke I always say. Uh, and look for that wine rack that some ridiculous architect put over the kitchen window. I see it in so many houses. There's the sink, the window, and a wine rack over the window. So that you put your wine in there and it broils in the sun all day. It's near the stove, so there's nice and grease wafting up on it. Those bottles are so awful when you grab them. But it's just the worst idea to keep your wine in the kitchen for a kitchen out fresco in the kitchen. But anyway, grab a room temperature red bottle. Maybe it's one of your favorites. Open it, put three glasses on the counter, label them one, two, three with a China marker or with post-its or whatever you masking tape and a, and a pen. One, two, three. All right, so let's start again. Ice bucket of water, warm red, three glasses, number one, two, three. Now open the bottle and pour glass number one. Now drop it into the ice bucket and it's five minutes on your iPhone or, or kitchen timer. As soon as it rings, give it a swirl. Pour glass number two, back in the ice. Five minutes, ding, swirl, glass number three. Ten minutes experiment and that's it. You're done with the technical part. Um, now, smell one, smell two, smell three. And you won't believe the difference. Number one will smell like heat, like brandy, like alcohol. Once you you smell two and three, you'll see you're getting more and more fruit aromas, other characteristics. One is hiding behind alcohol because it's room temperature. Now, and what, by the way, what is room temperature? In your house, it could be 80. In mine, it could be 65. But it just means that it's not correct, right? Um, now, taste one, two, and three. And you will never be able to go back to one ever again. You can't because deliciousness pops in it's now remember we, we, it's is perfect because we're talking about light grapes like Gamay and Pinot Noir, bigger grapes like Merlot and Cabernet. Depending on the bottle you use, Pinot Noir should be served colder, so it might like the ten minute bottle. It might taste better after ten minutes, but a Cabernet might taste better after just five. They're both going to taste good at five minutes, but one might be a little better. All to say, forget the timing now and just remember that a good five minutes changes everything. And it can get too cold. You could, you could forget the phone rings, you leave it in there for half an hour, take it out and literally hold it like a goblet with your 100 degree hand on the glass. It'll warm up in no time. But, but the point is, 
10 minutes and you're done. Now, here's the amazing part of this. If you're a betting person, you will make money. Take all three glasses into the next room where some unsuspecting friend or partner or whoever is, and just say, I can't decide which bottle I like better. Tell me which one you like and let them taste. And hopefully no one likes number one, but there'll be debate about two and three. And then you walk back and say, you know what's funny? They're all from this bottle and people will lose their minds. It's like the emoji of the head exploding. People are furious like that is impossible. There is no way these wines are related. I've heard this a zillion times. I'm a little bit hyperbolic, but I'm not, I'm kidding you. I'm not kidding you that people write to me and say, I did it again. I did it again. I did it again. And people just go, there is no way I refuse to believe this is the same wine. Like, I'm definitely going to do that. All I'm the same. definitely going to try that because now I will chill my wine. I won't put it in the refrigerator. I'll actually chill it. Um, you can put it in the fridge though. Just, just know this. If you put it in the fridge, let's say you have another choice, right? You're going out for the day. When you come up, just take it out the second you walk in and go get changed. Even better, pour it into glasses and then go get changed and come back. It'll come up. But 38, our kids, our fridges are 38. It's 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 rough. You know, okay, a quick okay. ice, a quick ice bath is and it could be like little, I'll use a small little, you know, sauce pot with a little ice and water just as the jump start and go get ready or whatever, come back in in five, 10 minutes. It's it's fine. Just before you pull that cork or put the cork back in, if you already open it, turn the bottle. Bring the cold up. You're not going to hurt it. <laughs> but okay. oh, I say, give it a good swirl, like when you take it out of the ice each time. And I keep an ice bucket literally on the counter every time I throw a party, and I'm passing wine through to refresh it. Like as you leave stuff on the table, candles are lit, people are talking, it gets warm. So I'll just throw it in the ice while I'm grabbing another whatever and come back in five minutes, and it's fine again. Just keep dunking through. Whites and reds, always. Just keep dunking it through an ice bath. Got to have an ice bath. Okay, well then let's talk about whites because we've yeah. talked about like the Merlots and um, all of those. What about like I like I really do like Sauvignon Blanc. I do like that a lot. Sure, uh, but also this might be kind of I don't know. It's not weird, but I haven't seen it anywhere other than Miami. I'm sure other places sell it, but here in Atlanta, where I am now, I have not been able to find it. It's been a Riesling Moscato mix. Again, I'm not a big Moscato person because it's too, I won't say sweet, <laughs> too fruity. But like thank, I've. Thank you for that. But Moscato is actually produced sweet quite often, like with uh, sugar, like leaving residual sugar in the in the blend, or uh, they might add some unfermented juice in at the end, depending on where it's made and what the rules are. But yeah, no, Moscato, Moscato is, is a hook wine, like meaning, like I said to you, it's those gateway wines. Just like the Reunites, let's say, or the other, there's a million on the market, but those are the ones that try to grab you because of sweetness. So they, it's like that. By the way, that'd be your evolution from like, you know, soft drink sodas uh, into sweet wines, and then into drier, drier, drier. But it's it's part of the progression. So they hook people who have a sweet tooth with those wines. But so it's a Riesling Moscato blend. Yeah, Miami. Yeah, and here in Atlanta, I mean, I've been to several wine places, several, I mean, I'm sure I could buy it online somewhere. And it wasn't even expensive. It's a cheap wine. But, but, sweet? but what it was, was Riesling is dry. So it like took down that dry uh, slightly, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, yeah. and Moscato sweet, sweet, sweet. So it lifted the Moscato. So it yeah. gave me slight bit of I got it. I got it. Yeah, it's but so I'm going to give you, I'm going to make it easier for you. I'm going to make it easier for you. Let's talk about Riesling really quickly because most people hear the word Riesling or see the tall skinny bottle 
And for a lot of people, the, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, that's sweet, no thanks, right? No thanks. Riesling has been ruined for a lot of people, generations of people, by cheap Blue Nun, you know, Blue Nun Rieslings, they call them the Leapfrau Milks, the 1960s and 70s wines. I had them in my house when I was a kid. They're, you know, they're just very simple and very sweet. Um, Riesling, you know, so the joke your nephew will tell you, we have, a, I mean, maybe he hasn't heard it yet, but he's got us at some point. We joke, how do you spell sommelier? R-I-E-S-L-I-N-G, because we love Riesling because of its complete flexibility and ability to pair with everything because you can make Riesling in, I mean, the Germans have five official sweetness, dryness levels that you'll find on German labels. But in general, you could just go to any store and say, show me a bone dry Riesling. They'll have dozens, dozens. Um, but what you need, I'm guessing from the Moscato Riesling combo, you need Riesling one click up from bone dry, which is called off dry. And if you say that to any retailer, do you have a great off dry Riesling? They're going to have at least half a dozen on hand for you. They should. Now, I could give you one right now that I've been drinking for years when it's spicy food night. So let's say it's Indian curry, like chili pepper fire, like firehouse chili Thai, like something like where, you know, a good, uh, you know, a, a, a faux, a, like a soup with like chili pepper crazy. When you know you're going to be crying, you want either beer. Beer is always great with heat, or the pairing one on one to pair with heat. Drink sweet. Now, when I say sweet, I don't mean mega. I mean one click up, off dry. And I would always grab Kung Fu Girl Riesling from Washington State. It's literally Kung Fu like Kung Fu, and it's a it's a great great like fifteen dollar uh, screw cap bottle from Washington State. It is the go-to. I have so many people. My daughter, who's off to college now and cooking dinner with her friends and, and asking, you know, they, they're asking for wine recommendations. And I'm like, Kung Fu Girl is your gateway to Riesling. Like, try that first and then you dial it back to dry. But that's a great place to start, especially with spicy food or if you have just a little sweet tooth. It's a great because it's tons of acidity, but a little bit of, a little bit of sweetness. It's a nice place to go. I am absolutely going to try that because I have not been able to find that taste. I don't mind. I'll grab a bottle, cheap bottle of Riesling. I'll drink it. That's fine. But that taste with that Riesling Moscato mix, I have not been able to find that. And I'm not going to mix it up mm. myself. It's just not going to happen. But um, no. <laughs> I will try this Kung Fu. No, it's just not going to work. Um, but I will try the Kung Fu Girl Riesling. I'm excited about that one. Okay. So forget about me now. Back to the whites. Okay. You know, you have, and I'm talking about the basic, the Chardonnay, the Sauvignon. So the hierarchy, just like the reds, there's a hierarchy yeah. of whites. Yeah. So you've already eliminated one of the lightest. You don't like Pinot Grigio, and that's up in the lightest, lightest of of whites. There's 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 dozens of whites, but in American pop culture, in American wine speak, we know a lot of grapes. Especially the whites would be, I'd say Riesling, um, Pinot Gris or Pinot Blanc. Uh, Pinot Grigio, they're all related, right? Riesling below it, believe it or not, would be um, just next. I mean, Riesling has a lot more flavor to me than than Pinot Grigio. Um, and then Sauvignon Blanc. Chardonnay is one of the most powerful of the whites. 
specially oaked, but just in flavor and in color, it's always one of the bigger ones. And in between are a lot of hidden gems. Um, and that's 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 like a conversation for for a retailer to say like, what else do you have? People always say to me, what do I do? I'm stuck on Chardonnay. Where do I go? Um, I say, go to a wine shop and ask if they have any Cote du Rhone Blanc. It's a lot. To, it's a lot to remember, but Cote du Rhone means you know it's a read. It's a the Rhone Valley in France has beautiful white blends that are delicious and full-bodied and unctuous and juicy. Um, and they're made with three grapes. Maybe you've heard of Viognier, maybe. Maybe you've heard of Marsan and Roussan, but those are the three grapes. Marsan, Roussan, Viognier. Um, I'm going to go on another tangent and say this. We Americans, we speak grapes. You've been, give, you've been throwing me a lot of grapes. All good. If we were at, let's say, a wine tasting at the Metropolitan Pavilion in New York, where all the winemakers from Europe or from around the world come and host tastings every every few weeks, you'll find like, you know, wines of Spain and, you know, the Barolo Council, whatever. Everyone's throwing uh, tastings there for the trade. When the trade leaves, sometimes they invite consumers in, they pay 25 bucks or whatever, come in, taste some wine. Um, I love listening to the conversation because it happens over and over again. Shower, you walk up to uh, a French or an Italian or a Spanish winemaker and they say, hello, tell me, what do you like to drink? And you say, I love Sauvignon Blanc. And then they stare at you for an uncomfortable few seconds because they're waiting for you to finish the sentence, from where? Because you haven't said from where. We don't think that way. Americans think, I like Sauvignon Blanc. I like Cabernet. I like Chardonnay, I, whatever. Um, that's That's a great place to start. But in Europe, in most of Europe, wines are named by address. Champagne, Bordeaux, Chianti, Rioja, Porto, all addresses their regional names with no indication of grape. So look at Sauvignon Blanc and, and let's start here. Sauvignon Blanc hails from two places in France, the Loire Valley in central France, just south of Paris, Puy Fumet, and Sancerre are two village names in the Loire Valley. Have you heard of Sancerre? Sancerre is Sauvignon Blanc. A lot of people like Sancerre. It's like, I, I before the pandemic, I used to joke that the official white lunch wine of New York was Sancerre. It sounds just French enough to sound sophisticated. It's not, it's not hard to say. There's no accents to trip you. But Sancerre is a village in the Loire Valley where the white grape is Sauvignon Blanc, but it's never on the label. So oh, if, like yeah. I said, we talked about Bordeaux. I told you all those grapes. You will never find a single grape on a bottle of Bordeaux. It's just going to say Bordeaux or more specifically where in Bordeaux, like village names, vineyard names, like the you know, inverted pyramid. Up here is Bordeaux. Up here is France, Bordeaux, left bank, right bank, or Apple, other appellations right down to the address. It's sort of like the you, you, people wonder why you pay more for one bottle versus another of anything. Let's say it's a California, you're looking at the wine shelf and it says, you know, Robert Mondavi, Cabernet, California. That's it. The pyramid is kind of short. But if the next to it says Robert Mondavi, Cabernet, Napa Valley, Tocalon Vineyard, plot 127, like it's a severely deep period. The, more, the bigger the address, the more you pay because it's a higher quality level. Does that make sense? It does. Now, I'm, I'm, it does. I'm all over the place here, but I'm going to bring it all home right now. All to say, you're a Sauvignon Blanc lover. Could you say to me, without any wrong answers, no wrong answer here, do you tend to look at, like, do you say, oh, I like 
Sauvignon Blancs, I like the ones from New Zealand, or I like the ones from South Africa, or I like the ones from California, or you just like any Sauvignon Blanc. Any Sauvignon You do now, but I'm, when we get off this phone, you are going to say, you're going to start looking at your bottles and going like, wow, now this one tastes better. Than, like there's two side by side at a party, two Sauvignon Blancs, not from the same place or same producer. I guarantee you, you will discern a difference. And maybe there you start to build a little bit of your notebook in your head where you say like, huh, that one is from California and that one's from South Africa or that one's from New Zealand and that one's from wherever or from France. I have no idea in France where it's from, but it's French. Meaning that's just the place to begin to say like, I think I like that one better and I'm going to start asking more for that. And then that's how you find the address. We don't, we, it's, it's reverse. We do it in the reverse here. But all to say, um, there is no one Sauvignon Blanc style. There's no one Cabernet style. There's no one style of anything. But for most Americans, we speak in grapes, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's a great way to start the conversation, but it can get a lot more. Uh, we can get a lot more into it as we learn where those grapes are from, where they're grown. I'm learning so much. <laughs> That's crazy because I did not know that. Wow, yeah. now I'm going to have to start paying attention. Um, you mentioned food earlier. Yep. Uh, when it comes to pairing, you know, the whole thing, red and meat and beef or whatever, uh, is it, yeah, like, but I, I just heard you say like the spicy, the heat, the sweet, that, what is it with pairing wine pairing, pairing wines with well, So, so what I just gave you that, that to pair with heat, drink sweet is one of the easiest. And I'd say one of the few rules I really, really throw out to people to say, if you do love your favorite Sauvignon Blanc and you tonight buy some spicy Szechuan chicken, let's say, or whatever from your favorite Chinese takeout, that Sauvignon Blanc will get clobbered by those hot peppers. It's not going to taste great. Not gonna, by the way, ultimately, food pairing 101, everything is going to taste better than water, right? So let's say if we, if we could like, okay, if I have to pick between the water and the Sauvignon Blanc that's all I have in the house, it's going to be fine. You're going to be great and mission accomplished. But if we can say like, okay, is, it, just, is this going to be great with hot peppers? That's the only time I say sweetness and, and, and spicy heat are the two challenges in food pairing. Otherwise, everything's wide open. Everything is wide open. I pair red wine with fish all the time, especially at fancy corporate dinners where I have to, you know, uh, speak for a, a group of like 100 people, and it's like, you, Anthony, what you know? What do you want to do with the menu? I'm like, second course is a fish course anchored to red grapes. So the fish knows. Sorry, the fish. The chef knows exactly what I'm asking, and that's this. How do you pair uh, like the whitest uh, skate wing, right? Like white, white fish. Uh, bar, like in French, you know, a classic French dish would be bernoisette, which I, I don't speak French, but bernoisette is round butter, right? Like burnt, you have that beautiful brown butter, which could be a sauce and a million things, but you pour that over a skate wing, you've now anchored it to red wine because it's got caramelized um, butter over the top and that's nutty and earthy and caramelized. It will anchor easily to a beautiful chilled Cru Beaujolais or a great Pinot Noir. Um, if we just roasted it, if I took anything, a halibut or whatever, put it in the oven, uh, threw some capers, maybe some tomatoes or mushrooms, Anything earthy to use to make a sauce, I've now anchored it to red wine. I could have it, not Cabernet, never Cabernet. The light, 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 high acid reds go beautifully with fish dishes. It's just, it's a conversation piece and it blows people's minds. People are like, I would never think to do this. I'm like, 
Right, because people think that they're not allowed to, or they're afraid to say they do it at home, but they don't want to tell me. The only thing you need to be embarrassed about is putting ice cubes in your wine. I don't want to hear it. There is no reason for this. Because guess what you could do? I have the answer. Another another thing I've 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 been talking about for three decades and I can't make a penny off it. Freeze grapes in Ziploc bags in your freezer and then pop them into a glass of wine if it's too warm, if you're in a hurry, and no harm, no foul. It's on brand, it looks okay. I mean, it's not the most elegant thing to do, but who cares if you're in your kitchen in your pajamas? Nobody's gonna tell you what to do. But frozen grapes, no water, no harm, no foul. Better than That's those awful, awesome idea. Better than those awful refreezable uh, plastic ice cubes. No way. I mean, they, like the lemon wedges and the orange peels. Like, no, no thanks. It's not sangria, and I don't want anything plastic in my wine. Well, who who would want that anyway? I digress. So, there's your marching orders, right? So, um, when it comes to pairing wine and food, uh, one of the big questions is one of the funniest things. By the way, so I'm the uh, you know as the wine director for Amex. And my relationship with Amex goes back 25 years. I'm the online sommelier for the Platinum Card. If you opt in through some food and wine newsletter, it's not easy, but it, people people are subscribing for for years. People ask me questions through their their server, and then they come to me, and I have 48 hours to answer. Nobody pays attention to the 48 hour part, but I get sometimes I get the emails right away. Sometimes I see them tomorrow. Like yeah, but I caught this one. It was years ago, and a woman wrote and said, "Anthony, oh my God." The steaks are on the grill, and we realized all we have is Chardonnay in the house. What do we do? And I, I caught it. I'm like, I'm looking right at the, like, it's like we're not texting, but we're emailing. But I'm like, well, by now, I hope the steaks are off the grill because you not you do not want to overcook them if I'm coming over. Um, they should be still moving. If I have my way, they're still moving. But, um, but uh, guess what? You have two choices. It's very clear your two choices. And I already gave it away a few minutes ago. You have water. Or Chardonnay with your steak. I know what I would do. I would take the Chardonnay. And if you still think that's weird, think about if you were at Balthazar right now with me and we're having steak frites. The steak comes with a giant medallion of butter melting over the top. I mean, that's such a classic thing to do. Um, we love fat with our steak. We love butter, buttery things with steak. Um, sometimes we use butter sauces on steak sauce. But Chardonnay, unless you're drinking a Chablis that's bone dry, you're drinking an oaked Chardonnay that's got a buttery profile. It's going to be totally fine with the steak. Um, good luck. And she wrote me the next day and said, that was the greatest steak I've ever had. I mean, like crazy because she's probably a Cabernet lover. She didn't say, but I get these questions all the time where people are terrified that there's the wrong thing to do, like that there's got to be a right and a wrong. By the way, like I said to you, if you take your favorite Sauvignon Blanc and pair it with spicy Indian food or spicy Thai food or spicy Chinese food or any cuisine, every ethnic cuisine uses hot peppers. But once you have the hot peppers in there, or too much sweetness, like candy in wine is terrible too, um, but people do it, um, you, you find out it cancels the profile of the wine. It just tastes terrible. So it's not the worst thing in the world, but it's not the best idea either. For most food and wine pairing though, honestly, unless we're, when we're talking just savory deliciousness, not sweet, not hot, anything goes if you have an open mind. Okay, well, let's do this before we get further along because I do want to ask you about sparkling wine, but tell... Tell us a little bit about your offerings, like what you offer and how somebody can get in contact with you if they're interested in your 15-minute consulting. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. It, the, the, the hardest part is spelling my name correctly. If you could Google me correctly, you'll find me. It's G-I-G-L-I-O. So AnthonyGilio.com. And you got me on Instagram, Anthony Giglio. 
Twitter, Anthony Giglio. It's pretty simple. You just got to get that silent GL together. It comes to Giglio. But um, uh, I do this day and night. I'm hosting virtual tastings, live tastings, tours, team building, corporate events, you name it. Um, I do a lot of these uh, every, you know, many times a week, but I'm pretty booked up already for the first three months of this year. So yeah, I, I love what I do. I don't consider it work. I, I think I'm really fortunate to 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 do this out of um, complete love for the subject. I just I just have so much fun with this. And I love popping, you know, bubbles bits where people say, oh, I thought you couldn't do this or I thought you could only do that or isn't all, you know, isn't all red wine this or isn't all blah, blah. It's like, there is no, there are no definites in here. There's just, like I said, a few things I would say are a little bit better. Like you want to have a little bit of off dry with some spicy foods. Um, by the way, I've hosted wine tastings for red wine and chocolate. And you wanted to talk about sparkling wine. Do you know how many times people, oh my God, red wine and chocolate, I could do it. We, we would have a lot of fun. But do you know how many people hire me for champagne and chocolate? Because they're trying to pair two luxury items. It's a terrible idea. Champagne and chocolate hate each other. I could make you, we could all pretend that they like each other and everyone's going to get buzzed and, and high on chocolate, but um, it's not going to not gonna be a great pairing experience. Champagne and chocolate do not you like each other. Well, that brings up, I mean, back to Valentine's Day. What if somebody gets champagne and they have chocolates? That's really good that you said that because... Well, so remember when I said that champagne is red wine in disguise for the most part. But without the tannin, it collapses with heavy dark chocolate, like good. I'm the, I'm the bitter chocolate guy. I don't know if you're a milk chocolate person, but I love bitter chocolate. I love, love, love bitter chocolate. That pairs beautifully with Merlot, especially, by the way. A little fruit, a little power. Pinot Noirs, Cabernets, Merlots, they all have, there's room in there for all chocolates, even milk. White chocolate is not chocolate, so that's off the, that's off the list. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but, to <laughs> cause a war with the chocolate council. But um, but but champagne, what I would do then is say, okay, so I'm going to go for the reddest champagne I can get. I'll go for a rosé because at least there's some red wine in there. Or Blanc de Noir, but you know, white mineral Blanc de Noir means only red grapes or only black grapes because in Europe they say black instead of red. So only black grapes. So Blanc de Noir means white of black grapes. So it'll be a red, it's more red wine, but there's no tannin in there. There's no power structure really. So they're just pressing the grapes. The skins never touch the juice. Tannin doesn't enter the equation. Power doesn't enter the equation. So you just have Pinot Noir, Pinot Noir juice. So champagne and Pinot Noir, champagne and, and chocolate, not a great idea. But again, if that's all you got in the house and it's Valentine's Day, you're going to make it work. And why not? It's going to be fine. It's all going to be fine because it's better than. What is it better than Sherry? Water and water. Chocolate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it's always better than water, Sherry. That's the rule for life. Um, okay, so glasses, um, wine oh. glasses. Does That's it matter? Um, I, I would say that I'm a snob about the thinner the glass, the better for all of our experiences. So like... Um, you know, you know, cheap glassware, like, you know, you, if, if you're just buying your, it's your first apartment and you go to Target for glasses, that's great. And they're going to have cool designs and fun stuff, but none of it's crystal. It's all glass, right? Even Riedel, the famous producer, by the way, let's just for everyone out there listening. I know you all see the word Riedel and you say Rydell. Here's how you remember this. 
Rydell is the high school in Greece, the musical. It's not the glassware maker. It is Riedel. And I know Max Riedel really well. He's, he used to live in Hoboken. I live in Jersey City. So we were neighbors for a few years. Um, Riedel Crystal. Riedel even makes stemless glass for Target, for example. So like they're cool design. They feel good. They're nice glass, but they're glass, not crystal. So crystal is, you know, if we can get really good crystal glasses, right? Like Riedel glasses. I My one favorite, I, I just took it off the table here. I did a tasting this morning. Um, I love if I... if. You know, if you're buying me a birthday gift, by the way, Sherry, it's which is February 20th. It's coming. It's coming. Um, I'm glad you Riedel, let me know. <laughs> Riedel, Riedel Venom Bordeaux. If you Google Riedel Venom, V-I-N-U-M Bordeaux, it's one of their lines of, of glasses. They're not outrageously expensive like their hand-blown ones, but I love just the classic tulip-shaped glass. Yep. Hold on. Let me show yep. Let me show There we go. So this is it. See so a classic, just a classic balloon. That's the one glass I use for everything but i'm horrified i don't know if you can see it on the camera but it needs to be polished it's like it just i don't know who i'm gonna blame my wife for that even though i don't know who did it but that is filth. it needs to be polished but anyway um this glass i will pour champagne in here yes i will pour champagne here. i hate flutes flutes are dead by the way newsflash flutes are dead stop buying flutes everybody they're only for like bridal registries they're the worst glasses to pour into you can't get your big Italian nose in to smell anything because it's so small. Literally, when you pour champagne, watch when you pour. You have to stop and stop and stop because it keeps trying to overflow, right? It's just, it's impossible to pour in. They're so prissy and stupid. I hate them. Literally hate them. Most sommeliers will tell you to buy like a smaller, like a, a tulip bulb, like a size glass. Like it's, it's like a, a fat flute now is the new, like Riedel makes beautiful ones too. But um, they'll also sell you flutes. They'll sell you anything you want from Riedel. But um, all, all glass makers are making a modified flute now. But I would pour anything into this glass, red, white, sparkling, and keep, a, keep it very simple. Although I have a massive china cabinet with dozens of all different glasses that people send me. There's no sets. It's all, so I'll just set the table with whatever. And there's no big deal about it. But I would say one glass would be a beautiful, thin, so super thin. See, it's super, super thin. If, I, if this tips over the table, it will probably break. Like I joke that like when you go to like bad restaurants and like the glass could literally bounce off the floor and come back up and not break because it's like that thick, you know, AP, they call it all purpose glasses, AP restaurant glasses. They're terrible. There is a difference. If you have a thicker glass and a thin glass, when you taste the wine, it will taste different. Absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Rita would have you believe that the shape of everything. And like I, I've done these tests with Max and his father years, for, you know, decades ago where the shape of the glass from the rim from the balloon, you know, the burgundy glasses that have that bubble shape, right? So like they capture aroma. It's all for sensory effects that it, there's dozens of things that are happening when you lift a glass to your face. And I'm looking at you right now in the camera, but when we're having lunch or dinner, I look at you, the glass comes up without me even thinking, but I am thinking. We just don't realize that the brain is calculating a dozen things all at once. The weight of the glass, the balance of the glass, where I picked it up, how it tips forward, the weight, how I'm negotiating, the balance of the volume of the, of the wine as it's coming in. My eyes are looking at you, but I'm also seeing the glass. And all these things are happening, how my jaw, either how my mouth opens, how much, whether my tongue comes forward to touch the glass or backs up to let the volume of wine hit the bottom of your palate. It's crazy. Read like slow fill, like they, they film everyone drinking, then they slow it down to watch all the effects of all the different glasses, it's mind-blowing stuff. Really, really fascinating. But, 
I mean, unless you're a bazillionaire, who's going to buy all these different glasses? I have a lot of samples here. And I, I believe that they do make things taste better. They always have that mind-blowing uh, placement of six glasses, and they they show you, like, the taste. Of, and then, of course, the reveal at the end is it's all the same wine, and they all taste very different in the different glasses. But I, I want to be – I want to be – right, you've done it then. Yeah. I've done that. And that's not going to ask because my right, mind so, was blown. It was like. All right. But but I want to. So like my job is to keep things in a normal human uh, stratosphere. Like most of us don't have the room or the budget for all those glasses. So what do you need? In truth, you need if you wanted to have at least two pretty glasses on the table when you set a table for dinner, you just need this one and the smaller one. Just like, you know, this, like the Sauvignon Blanc one is the smaller version of this. It's thinner and a little you know shorter. But that's all you need for an elegant table. I'm really mortified about how cloudy this glass is. But you know what it is? We don't use a dishwasher. So this must have just gotten a rinse and a didn't get dried correctly. But anyway. Last question. Sparkling rosé. If you could just sparkling wine, because I really don't understand sparkling wine. And like rosé. I know you sparkling mentioned how rosé right? was. Is it? Right. So, sparkling rosé is delicious, um, depending on who makes it, right? But um we talked about the fact that you're making wine but, but you're making most sparkling wines are made without skin contact so they stay white rosé is the exception so let's take those three grapes pinot noir pinot meunier chardonnay i make three barrels no skin contact on any of them so i have three barrels of pinot noir blanc pinot meunier blanc chardonnay is already blanc right and now i ferment pinot noir red in the fourth barrel I don't need the barrel though. So now I take my bottle and champagne is made, real champagne is made one bottle at a time where they blend. So it's, or they'll blend it, you know, they blend it before they put it in the bottle, but meaning it's bottle by bottle by bottle, but they'll say, okay, for this vintage or for this blend, we are going to use um, 90, you know, 30% Pinot Noir, 30% uh, so, uh, Pinot Meunier, 30% Chardonnay, 28% uh, Chardonnay, and 2% of real red, of red, red Pinot Noir. And all it takes is, typically 5% of the volume of any bottle to turn it rosé. So a little 5% of red, and they turn it red, and then they second ferment it in the bottle, they age it, and they, they, they serve it to you in a beautiful white towel on the, the table. But really great rosé. So here's what I say. If you don't know what rosé to buy, even still rosé, um, look for producers you already trust for your other favorite Cabernet or Merlot or Pinot Noir or whatever. Look for that producer and see if they make a rosé. It's going to be good, right? Because if you already trust them, um, if you're buying rosé, like, you know, like summer rosés for the beach, um, start, I always say I, I would start with Provence. I, I go to the I go to the French. They they have make like they make beautiful rosés and they they're much. I think that they I mean, this is a total blanket statement, but I think that French rosés uh, in France, rosé is taken very seriously. And here it's more of a party wine. I mean, there's plenty of great winemakers making great rosé, but I don't think we take it as seriously as they do in, in France. It's a, it's it's culturally theirs. I mean, they they've been making rosés uh, really really well for for centuries. So I would say if you're in the wine store staring at a wall of rosé and you don't know what to pick, you don't recognize any of the labels, grab something from uh, from Provence or you know from ask ask for some help. But go go there. Awesome, awesome. Let's do this again. I, I feel like we could go for another hour, but. So okay. um, I'll keep you posted because I have enjoyed this conversation. I've learned so much. I had very little knowledge of being with, but I ha I've learned so much. And I thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you, Anthony. I'll talk to you later. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Get out the way. We got a watch.
who got the time, I'm raising the clock. Even if my feelings grind, don't stop. Got big dreams, want bigger rocks. I got plans, you got talk. Heard it's real cheap, but it's really cold house. 